Jarvik Podcast. This is your host Kuchal Mehra. My guest today is Disha Aluwalia. Disha is someone I've been reading for a long time. I've been following her work on social media, on other platforms, and also on the print. So she is an archaeologist and a junior research fellow at the Indian Council of Historical Research. Uh, Disha, welcome and thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. So today's podcast is going to be about archaeology, about the Indus Valley civilization, or maybe things after and in and around the Indus Valley civilization. So maybe we'll start over here, Disha. This is your first time on the podcast. So could you tell everybody about your journey? How did you get into archaeology? What got you fascinated about it? So um, it was an accidental thing. Like I didn't plan. Uh, you know, uh, when I was in school. Uh, I had no clue what archaeology really entails. Like you know, I've seen movies and I've heard about it, the the general notion of you know Indiana Jones and whatnot. But I never really bothered to get into what exactly archaeology is. And I think many of us usually don't who are not you know in uh, the profession. Uh, it so happened that I um, started bachelor's uh, in DU, uh, Dalit Ram College, uh, history honors. um and uh, it was my first class which was on human evolution and uh, it was very intriguing you know i remember i went back home and then i googled and then i started researching i uh, i would hit the, hit a library and i would read books and i would dwell more into the subject and that's how i started you know my curiosity sort of grew with time i started discussing uh, about archaeology with my parents and i remember nat geo there used to be this program on um, archaeology where egyptologists were excavating near the pyramids and you know my mom would watch the show and she would make me sit with her and watch and then we would have a discussion that's how like you know i was around 18 19 my curiosity uh, started growing and I, and that's how i decided that i'm going to pursue archaeology uh, of course uh, i had no one to guide me back then uh, it was a uh, sort of a solo journey and um, i went through it on my own on my own terms uh, and here i am it's been 10 years now so how is it to be an archaeologist look there is a standard archaeological uh... model of the you know so people like the average person may have heard a few popular names here and there but when it comes to historical discoveries and discoveries of sites we'll get into the yeah. real science a little bit later on but i want to focus on the pop culture side of all these things because it's very important and the one thing i'm actually very very happy that you do is you actually use social media effectively and when i say effectively let me explain how you actually are one of those rare people who are from a scientific background who actually knows how to do the new thing because most scientists you know the image of a scientist is i am a nerd don't bother me i'll write my paper i'll publish in a journal with x impact factor he will count the impact factor then this is my google citation uh, this is my google scholar number this is my google citation number and that's about it and i move on but that's not how science is done which is why neil degrasse tyson is someone who's very popular but there is also a side in science reportage where i don't know what word there are quacks there are there are people who are not quacks but they may not be representing the entire picture so that you know the quacks are not the dangerous ones the dangerous ones are not the quack but they may not know the subject very well and then they are the ones who are popular under the garb of popularizing science are saying a lot of things so do you think maybe as a community the scientific community itself has failed in the messaging bit of course of course um, you know uh, i when i was a student i'm still a student actually but when i was just starting out in archaeology uh, i was an outsider like i had no clue what archaeology was never excavated aside um, i had few questions in my mind i knew the bookish knowledge you know uh but not in detail and remember uh, uh we i started my training at institute of archaeology uh, which is the only training institute okay uh, in the country and um, all of my colleagues all of my batchmates they were so well versed with uh, you know the 
the findings the you know the those mcq questions you ask them and they will get everything right on the other hand me i would read uh, you know fiction and i would read non fiction i would i would i was not somebody who would uh, read a lot of these big thick books uh, but i would uh, you know do it on my own pace like at my own time i'm not very good with exams i'm somebody who learns uh you know in a very different way i'm not a nerd nerd sort of thing uh i developed reading reports and all but that's a different story so i learned in the field whatever that i know i learned in the field while working for over 10 years con- continuously i learned these small small tricks and things in archaeology that every archaeologist uh would know um and we should know as an archaeologist about the problems and issues in uh, while discussing it with my teachers you know i would sit with my teachers and i would ask them this is what i uh, why is this not here why are we not finding this here you know those silly questions and those those silly questions those very simple questions uh, made me find those answers in the field and that's how i learned archaeology uh, but on the other hand i would always because you know we grew up in the with the age of internet social media instagram facebook i would always uh, find it very hard to find any sort of popular information and um, uh, you know when i would read books like if you remember tale of two cities it sort of has this historical background to it there are many other classic books you know uh, which has this historical background but when it comes to indian context that classical or historical background is either too mythological or it's very it is like two opposite ends right we do not have this central paths to it and i would always find that you know we don't have a simple version of archaeology because reading excavation reports is not everybody's cup of tea to be very honest and nowadays reports are becoming very scientific and you you know it would take you days even for an archaeologist to take you days to go through one report uh, it's not that easy and we will not find anything in public domain and i decided that i'm going to dwell into uh, a discipline called public archaeology uh, and in india a uh, public archaeology is not um, as a discipline as an academic discipline it's not well established there are only few archaeologists who have actually worked uh, you know in this domain or they have done academic work in public archaeology basically public public archaeology has various facets uh, what i do is just one part there is another getting you know community engaged in protecting heritage is another aspect of public archaeology uh, and i remember i would mail um, scholars in the west you know who are working in public archaeology to um, get more information and i decided that i'm going to work on public archaeology that particular year i was not able to work on public archaeology but i somewhere back of my mind i knew that i would really like to get into public discourse i would want to write about archaeology in a way that people understand i want to share that thought you know whatever this you know within the harappan context or within post harappan pre harappan pre history whatever you take archaeology is a very distinct subject it's a niche there's so much of science so much so many multidisciplinary subject right but to make it a uh, make it available uh, you know in public so that wrong information do not get circulated is an important thing and i started it in 2016 with confessions of an archaeologist i started a very small initiative um and uh, it, uh, it during i think covid i got plenty of time to sort of engage into it channelize myself and you know thanks to you guys like with podcasts and and now i'm writing for print um it sort of uh, made that journey quite you know lucrative and, and and easy and i'm i'm happy that i'm able to at least um uh, ha- initiate a conversation if if nothing you know in, in this regard no i i i actually found out about you through the confessions of an archaeologist and i was mm-hmm. i tried to read more about your work and uh i have been on my own way i am obsessed with just one issue it's my personal obsession for the last 15 years so i only read about that 
and i don't mm-hmm. so you'll never see me commenting outside of that but i did read a lot of archaeology in the ivc uh, and and i was obsessed with the rigveda so it all started mm-hmm. with me uh, and my interest in aryan invasion and then aryan migration mm-hmm. and then out of india and all these theories and where mm-hmm. where do the serious people talk and when i started reading more things in there i started reading a lot of quackery too which yeah. quackery on the indian side quackery on the western side if people assume there is no quackery on the western side oh boy there is a yeah. lot of quackery on the western yeah. side also yeah, yeah. So, so a lot a lot of rubbish is written over there and that's when yeah. i got interested and and my biggest grouse every time when i would talk to serious people where no it, it was uh, for example dr neeraj rai you know he's a population geneticist who introduced us but for me to tell dr rai to start speaking openly publicly was also a struggle is it ye kon kya karne ki zarurat hai hum to hamara science kar rahe hain matlab aisa thodna hota hai ki aap apna science kar rahe ho aur karte jaoge matlab logo ko batao nahi to aapke naam pe kya kya phelte hain log aapko nahi pata yeah people true a lot of rubbish on your name they assume you imply this they assume you imply that and and a lot of theories are peddled now maybe we can focus on uh ivc is because i think you're currently excavating in raki gadi right yeah we just finished um, uh like I, it was my second season of course raki gadi has been excavated multiple times we just wrapped up uh it's i think it's just been a week uh that i'm back home after four and a half months of excavation yeah so how does it go like how how does the average uh, day of a ex- uh, excavation expedition work like when you guys go how do you guys manage i just i'm just fascinated by the process so kya hota kya so actually uh, we were staying in tents uh, and our tents were stationed at one side of one of the mounds so if you know about rakigiri and those who don't know i just want to say that rakigiri is a very big site um uh, there are seven mounds together they make up the um, harappan city of rakigari and um, uh, out of these seven mounds um, three mounds are protected by archaeological survey of india so in one of those mounds there was a space in the corner where we stationed our camp and uh, we would have these makeshift um, uh, you know temporary mess where um, there would be like one or two cooks who will like you know cook for us breakfast lunch dinner and then uh, usually we start early uh, during summers uh, we we started like about this time the temperature oh my god i don't know what happened climate change is real uh, it was it was really difficult for us to manage because by 8 o'clock it w- would be really hot and i had about 20 research students you know and they were all trainees it was their first excavation it was so difficult to manage uh, you know fluctuations in temperature with them but we would usually start about 7:38 and then we would work till 12 and then we would break for lunch and then uh, we'll resume around 3 or uh, you know 4 depends on how much uh, like we need to complete 8 hours of work uh, because we engage local uh, residents with us so uh, and we pay them um, you know daily wages so um, uh, eight hours is what we have to make them uh, you know work with them and not beyond that so we finish our work eight hours and we divide those eight hours into you know the, the we exclude the lunch break and then we four hours usually pre lunch and post lunch uh, we can always uh, shift um, we can always you know um, do it as per our convenience but usually it's eight hours and then post excavation it's not that our work is over the digging part is over uh, but then comes the part where we have to record our daily findings so we find a lot of antiquities uh, now antiquities is something like cultural material that we find be it pottery uh, be it any uh, figurines or any art object or uh, beads or whatever or anything any artifact that we find from the excavations separately it's recorded so pottery goes into the a uh, pottery yard Uh, which is in open and so every day daily pottery is put in grids and then um, uh, it's recorded in registers and then antiquities are carefully recorded uh, separately and then comes the part where we record our samples so everything like we have to finish our recording 
on that very day because if we don't do it uh, you know we are humans we forget certain things and small small um, you know uh, minute details can just skip our memory so we record everything on that very day uh, and if you like i had a team of 20 23 students working with me so the work was divided um, and um, it was um, yeah so that's what we do and then we start our work again the next day uh and then uh we continue our documentation which includes photography which includes drawing illustrations of everything and uh, various other methods that we use so our work basically we start in the morning and we start we what i do usually and what men, what i have learned from my seniors is that i pre plan the night before what i'm going to do the next day so we will always have daily briefings in the evening uh for at least an hour where uh, each trench each square uh, we'll go in detail as to what needs to be done the next day because uh, uh we need to finish our work in a limited period of time and we need to get results as well so it's it's a very rigorous process um uh, uh, the only time that i get free at site is when i come back to my tent and i uh, change and then i have um either a cup of coffee or tea and then uh, because students are still uh, working while i'm doing all that they will keep coming and they will keep uh, they'll have their doubts so we'll it's it's a continuous process so we'll finish our day about 11 sometimes we finish our day about around 12 and then start again so we get one day off in a week that's a lot of work now i've read in a lot of uh, essays uh, that archaeology in india struggles from one more aspect is that in terms of just ancient remnants that you that we find or artifacts that we find they tend to be in a harder shape and it makes things harder while excavating is that true because of the just the sheer nature of our climate that we are a temperate climate country so thus those those conditions also make it harder let's say if we are in the colder part of india that would make it easier and being in a temperate climate area do do we have to change our techniques when we are excavating as per the geography yes we do have to change our techniques and um, we do have to um, alter our methods but uh, what happens is that in every part of the country it's not only north and south within the northern half also uh, like i'll give you an example of sonali al site where i've excavated i was excavating another site uh, like we were excavating two sites sonali and barnawa which is in the same geographical region about 25 kilometers apart right but at barnawa the sediment was very different it was much softer it has more silt and uh, it was easier to excavate like i could excavate with just a trowel i i you know and the pickaxe will not cause a lot of damage jo gethi you know it will not cause a lot of damage but sonali the sediment was so hard it was so hard it was like a stone it was literally like a stone so we really had to get new tools redesign uh so that we excavate the burials of uh, sonali because Uh, we will uh, it was very difficult to use our you know um uh, knives trowels pickaxes as scrapers kuch chalta nahi tha because there's a lot of the composition of of uh, soil was like there was high percentage of clay so clay when it's exposed to sun it becomes harder and it starts cracking and that would cause a lot of issue for us so we had to change our tools we redesign tools only so that you know um, it's easier for us to excavate we use smaller tools we would spray so that the soil gets a little moist and we would, we then are able to uh, you know scrape it off uh, so it's not only a very uh, you know like north uh, in himalayas the sediment is totally different and there the methodology is changed it's everywhere it's sort of like a in a micro uh, landscape things change you know so it depends on the sediment that you're dealing with and that's what uh, we need to understand like for instance at rakhi gadi when we started excavating the sediment again was very different the soil composition was little different so when we started excavating i knew that i um, a lot of 
आर्क्योलॉजिकल मटीरियल फॉर इंस्टेंस ब्रिक्स मट ब्रिक्स जो सन बेट कच्ची ईट है दे माइट गेट मर्ज विद द नेचुरल सेडिमेंट एंड ऑल्सो द डिपोजिशन दैट हैज हैपन सो फॉर इंस्टेंस इफ देर इज अ स्ट्रक्चर द एयर डिपॉजिट uh you know gets accumulated so that gets merged over a period of time so we changed our methodology i did not use any pickaxe i used only trowels and brush so everywhere in every part of the country in smaller groups also in micro level also uh we need to understand how our sediment is and then tweak our methodology like underwater archaeology is totally different we cannot use our you know on site on land methodology underwater that's a totally different uh, aspect and even sites which are near the shore or which are submerged or uh, sites which are in uh, you know in rajasthan so you have to uh, do it you have to understand the ecology and that's what archaeology is about it's not just digging understand how the landscape changed how what is the temperature rainfall like uh, what is the wind pattern that is also very important so we have to like do that uh, sort of brainstorming also while excavating you mentioned sonoli i have to ask this question i have seen and read a few bits and bobs here of here and there with dr sk manjul uh, hmm. explaining what and then i've uh, i saw a detailed presentation i couldn't read his papers because they're all in russian i'm talking about dr semenenko I I can't read his papers. Unfortunately, barely any papers of his are in English. जो English में थे पढ़ लिए, बाकी ये तो पढ़ने को नहीं होते अभी Russian कहाँ से सीखे बैठ के. But there is a lot of debate around whether Sinoli had a chariot or not. Now I see some people in the West claiming it's not a chariot. I, I'm 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 just stating what what they are stating. Then yeah, uh, Doctor Manjul says it's a chariot. Semenenko says in fact uh, Sintasta is not a chariot. जिस्ट I remember Sonali very well. What happened at Sonali was something that we, we it was beyond my understanding. It was beyond my understanding. The sediment was difficult. The half of the graves are already disturbed because of cultivation and other things. Already there is a preset notion that there are no chariots because if you say chariots, you have to ask yourself a question: Where is the horse? so when initially uh, because we would have we had the same camp we were living in in one camp we would have discussions and i would have uh, conversations with uh, uh, dr manjul and his wife they both were co-directors of both the excavations i remember sir saying that you know i think there is something different that we are excavating at sanoli is just not burial because uh, initially there was this one skeleton the first skeleton that they had excavated and then slowly slowly it was a very slow process they started mapping out only the copper objects wherever they were been found so they chose the methodology where we would only trace the elements and not remove them what usually happens in archaeology is people want to dig deeper and on the horizontal span how they are spatially distributed the artifact the small small evidence the features uh, that is also very important aspect so they started to note those expansion of those features that they were finding and then they stumble upon these four pipes which were together okay and then that pipe was very intriguing and i remember having elaborate conversations and dr manjul is an artist also he's a painter he would draw and then he would give his hypothesis and he'll be like you know this is what it should be it should be this it should be that nobody thought of chariot at that point because you know it's been uh, like jo cheez hai nahi to uske bare mein hum kabhi kabhi sochte nahi hai and it was always said that sonali is a later upon site which of course uh, a lot of archaeologists always had a doubt even you know it was not written in academic papers but uh, many archaeologists has voice have voiced their concern that maybe sonali is not later upon it was accepted however for a very long period of time 
and then you know suddenly they changed the methodology the moment they found those four uh, pipes they started expanding uh, in a different way they started digging in a different way and the story changed when they found the first wheel okay and it was not that in the trench in the field the the whether it's a cart or a chariot was not tested the see archaeology may cheese one thing is very important you need to understand that you can't hide a lot of data from the trenches a lot of story is always remain hidden in the trenches so if we have cut a part of that particular vehicle to make it look like a chariot the section behind it will tell us the story because we end up excavating behind that also to trace if we find similar evidence or not but the wheels the way the the wheels are angled the space between the two wheels and the way the chassis is the way the axle of the wheel and the entire the d-shaped frame is made it is nothing but a chariot it is not a large vehicle because aaj bhi hamare desh mein cart use hote hai main sanoli main rakhi gadi mein char mahine se thi and i have only seen cart been used for the small you know domestic related field related work uh, you see the way cart is made there is bull on the cart right and of course today they don't have wooden wheels they use those tired you know, modern wheels but cart, the cart is still used as a bullock cart you know even today so we have taken the statistics how much the space it requires for the yoke and the pole to be and how the frame will be and what difference it you know the sonali cart uh, sonali chariot is as opposed to a normal cart we have done all of that work in the report which we, which is been submitted to uh, archaeological survey of india and hopefully it will be published very soon so we have done this homework right we have done this rigorous research we have also done experimental study uh, in terms of uh, you know for these uh, chariots so there is no doubt people look at the pictures which are taken from one particular angle and then they make a whole lot of story and interpretation on the basis of those pictures i would really like to urge those people that you can very well go and see the chariots if you want to right and and make a conclusion yourself indulge in a conversation as to why you think it's a cart i would really would want to know why you think it's a cart because see uh, refuting one side of the story or another opposing end is not the aim of academia i would really would want to sit with uh, them and uh, you know those who say it's a cart and have have this discussion and if they are not convinced at the end of the discussion that it's a chariot and not a cart then you know and i'm very convinced they will be because the moment you see that the physical evidence yourself you will you will be convinced i don't have to uh, go out of my way to convince you you know in this regard i think sonolish uh, evidence and the chariot they themselves will tell you the story once they are in a museum and then they are you know hopefully soon um and yeah i remember a scholar from um, you know a uk uh, the group of scholars they visited um, uh, india they wanted to see sonali chariots because they have excavated iron age chariots in in the uk and they wanted to see how our chariots are different from uh, their chariot and they also have read uh, a lot of articles which mention that it's not chariots a cart the moment they saw they were they were amazed you know and then they ended up ended the whole uh, you know the visit by saying that it's one of the biggest discoveries um after the you know uh, 1921 but then if this is a chariot and this is parallel to the late harappan period and for the benefit of the viewers before i make my point uh, could i request you to actually explain what early harappan middle harappan and late harappan uh, is so, many people uh, may, may not even know yeah so there is um, uh, so the harappan civilization was divided into three parts there is actually a fourth part also but that is not linked to the civilization or culture or harappan culture directly it's called pre harappan which as a term says it's the early farming uh, society which predates the uh, uh, the harappan um, period and when i say harappan period means when the when few characteristics which define 
uh what uh, being harappan or what harappan means they started coming up during early harappan period so there is pre harappan where it's early farming it's more regional uh where you know um, agriculture uh, and pastoralism is uh, on the rise and then slowly around early harappan which is about 4500 bce where certain characteristics like brick size um and uh, pottery um you know standardization in pottery etc started developing during early harappan period then comes mature harappan where these characters take a very mature form that is where trade started to trade uh, matrix become more complex there are weights and measures uh, the uh, the rise of big cities so the uh, settlements which were earlier smaller regional agricultural based settlements has now um, you know changed its characteristics and became urban centers and then uh, in mature harappan so that is what classical harappan a lot of people know uh no drainage system and etc is during that period which is from around 2600 to 1900 bce and then 1900 bce till 1500 bce is where the urban characteristics characteristic starts to die down and it goes back to a localization era or the late harappan era so the urban character dies down but harappan characteristics within the cultural material still continues within the late harappan so that is what late harappan like this is how uh harappan culture is classified in archaeology uh, thanks a lot now let's get back to the late harappan uh, date of the chariots that uh, dr manjul and many others have excavated and figured out and discovered them in 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 sinoli now this throws the cat amongst the pigeons right because the standard working assumption was indians did not have chariots the kurgan hypothesis which is the south russian hypothesis was that people came in chariots in horses i still don't mm-hmm. understand how they figured to make that journey all the way from there to here but journey and yeah so they still came they came in chariots they brought the uh, indo european language uh, some claim that the rigveda was written outside brought inside uh, now many have changed on the rigveda being written outside because when you read the rigveda and now you have the glacial uh, Uh, discovery or uh, and now they can't deny the saraswati bit so they're like okay the rigveda may be written in india but how do we now take the kurgan hypothesis that look full disclosure i i was never into the south russian kurgan camp because it's very uh, honest and uh, uh, admission over here but i was also a out of india skeptic when i say out of india skeptic is uh, the origin of proto indo european that's all i was concerned about right where did proto indo european uh I, the rigveda could be native to india i have always been very sympathetic to the iran anatolia armenia region and it just makes more sense that proto indo european would have originated there one batch goes to south russia some batch comes to india and then everything happens here and then from here they go back to iran and the back and forth happens i'm just putting it out there so you know where i stand but what do we make of this now where does this entire debate stand because even the horse bit right uh, it, wasn't it bokoni who said no there are horses in india but then another set of archaeologists say no they are not horses they are ponies so what do we make of this entire debate now yeah uh, we don't have any early evidence of a horse uh, when i say evidence means we have not found it yet and it's always you know um, uh, it's we need physical evidence we need scientific conclusive evidence to say certain things with with you know um, like out there and writing papers so far no bone is 100% uh, has 100% identification of horse in indian context of course there are ponies they are like indigen they are not these big horses that are in the western um uh, you know uh, region but the pony and the and the shorter indigenous horse species the equus same species they were there in the northern regions but see now the problem here uh, with justifying and the problem was that we did not find any bone we found cattle bone but we did not find any bone horse bone or equus bone in sonali context so far there is even a cat burial at sonali but uh, equus bone is missing from the archaeological reports uh, and 
uh, and it's not only sonali it's the entire uh, northern half of the indian subcontinent where e- the horse bone is missing from the archaeological context i'm talking pre uh, early historic i'm talking about prehistoric protohistoric period right post that of course we start finding horse we find large number um, uh, that there's no denying about it uh, see when people say that chariots and horses are coming from outside and uh, there was of course ascopopola who wrote a paper and i remember reading that paper and laughing and ascopopola is a very uh, he's a senior researcher he has done a good work also it's not that his credibility is very low and he um, uh, like <laughs> one can question his standing but when he wrote that paper he contradicted himself in that very paper multiple times and i have read uh, read that paper many times when i was preparing when we were working on the report and we are also preparing few papers on sonali and uh, like it it really amazed me like how can one make a descrip- like uh, like come to a conclusion that just because it does not fit in the pre uh, set narrative a certain discovery is not uh, fitting in that narrative the discovery itself is 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 uh, negated it's not how it works archaeology kami hai that new discovery will change the narrative you should not keep a set narrative for a long period of time and sonali excavation is telling us to do exactly that the methodology which was not in place pre uh, sonali the way we lifted those chariots and those barrels was in 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 um, you know it was another aspect which was not attempted before so there are a lot of new things that that were you know that we had done on site and off site so it's time that we ask ourselves question if the migration or you know the theory that people keep pushing that the chariot riders they the horse riders they have migrated towards the subcontinent especially to ganga yamuna dwab i want to know that it's in another um, aspect it, it's also possible that technology migrates faster than people do cultural trades fashion migrates faster than people do right goods migrate faster than people do uh, there is a limitation to archaeological investigation also we that's why we need a lot of other scientific analysis such as you know our isotopic analysis tonsum analysis dna analysis to help us build the picture add more uh, data the layers of data to our story material culture in today's time and age is just one aspect of understanding archaeology and distribution of people people i'm talking about not goods so we need to also understand that homo sapiens like we are very dynamic in nature we cannot be limited to any particular theory because somebody thinks it is true they that is a reason why a lot of these theories are now outdated and they need to be revised by keeping sonali uh, as a solitary example in the map if you google the map of early chariots you will not find sonali anywhere it's time that we initiate these conversations come on one board and have a conversation as to where we can place sonali today on a global uh, you know on a holistic or a wider global perspective where in the asian world where can we place sonali and to be honest we do need that sort of interaction now uh in order to eliminate a lot of uh, you know bogus research and a lot of um, un- unproved uh, claims we need to come together and we have to have these discussions we need to uh, rewrite a lot of um, stories that have been already written you know and and i think it's time and this always change one cannot deny by calling it a cart you cannot shy away from the fact that you also found weapons in the burial okay we also found coffins left coffins how can you uh, how, how are you going to uh, you know put those evidence uh, in the broader context because it was also said that um, indians were peace loving people ha <laughs> huh? so we have a hilted antenna sword which is very heavy you have daggers how can you justify you have to put you have to talk about that also it's not only chariots 
and i think we need to uh, find uh, more example one example of one sonali excavation or solitary example at one site is not the answer to a broader uh, problem uh, it requires a lot of uh, on field research also now we need to reevaluate a lot of things especially in the ganga yamuna dwab which has been ignored largely because we have either focused on ganga plain or focused on uh, harappan civilization i'm talking only in the northern half um, so we have <laughs> ignored this major chunk which is very important which is bridging the two major rivers yeah and and it really has set the cat amongst the pigeons because what they when i say they is the kurgan camp the kurgan hypothesis mm-hmm. camp the kurgan camp had based a lot of things on an like for example disha this entire date of the rigveda of 1500 bce i don't know what mm-hmm. to say it is a ridiculous date because i mean everybody knows how max miller came up with that date it is max miller yeah max miller's calculations were like matlab mai mai school ka 10 saal ka bachcha hu usne us base pe calculation ki ki we know the buddha pillars like the, the stupas so we know the date okay. that is a fixed yeah so we know the fixed date ab mai uske piche 100 saal ya 200 saal marte jata hu aur ये रेंज में होगा टुडे यू गो टू भंडारकर रिसर्च ओरिएंटल रिसर्च इंस्टीट्यूट नो स्कॉलर दैट टीचर्स इन बोरी dates the rigveda is 1500 then the funny bit is i asked them tell me a date they tell me koi bolta hai 1900 koi bolta hai 2200 koi bolta hai 2100 and then i asked them a follow up question which is very natural i'm like if this is the date you guys are claiming then why do you talk about aryan invasion and aryan migration you cannot talk about the two things in the same because yeah the, you can't uh, edit you can't because if the 1500 date is false then the entire aryan migration edifice falls i mean there unka to pura karwai 1500 bce pe baitha hua hai and i'm not making this up yeah see 1500 bce ke sath aur problems bhi bahut hai and i'm working in that area only for my phd and i've been working in that particular time frame for almost 6 7 years इतना कम काम हुआ है वी आई हैव नो प्रॉपर डेट्स टू मेक एन इंफ्लुएंस और और इंटरप्रेट एनी कल्चरल मटेरियल भगवानपुरा का डेट है uh, 1300 1400 डेट गया है पीरियड वन बी का ऑफ कोर्स पीरियड वन ए व्हिच इज लेटर अपन विल बी लिटिल अर्लियर वी हैव मल्टीपल साइट्स व्हिच हैव ओवरलैप ऑफ लेटर अपन एंड पीजीडब्ल्यू ददेरी है मदीना इज रिसेंटली एक्सकवेटेड देयर आर सो मेनी अदर साइट्स बट द प्रॉब्लम क्या है कि वी हैव नॉट गॉन इन डेप्थ इन एनालाइजिंग द कल्चर मटेरियल टू एन एक्सटेंट वेयर द काउंटर क्वेश्चंस कैन get an answer from the excavation report or get an answer itself it's very difficult there's so many gaps within the research that it's time that we focus on that particular area also or what you know that's one part another is that you are absolutely right if we place rigveda very early about 2200 whatever date you know uh, we have a lot of other questions within the archaeological chronology that has been set that then requires altering I've read a paper which was written by Dr. B. R. Mani. Uh, oh, he was one of the co-authors on the new dates of painted graveware. And for those um, pay, uh, who don't know, P. G. W. is what Lal Sahab has uh, uh, claimed that in time and space was linked to Mahabharat, right? Uh, and if uh, if the date of Rigveda, what Professor Lal Sahab uh, has said that you know the Harappans. uh and the rigvedic people are the two sides of the same coin uh stretching the dates to um, you know third millennium bce then the day that he is given for the mahabharat and the pgw is again does not fall because he said it's later vedic so kahi kahi na kahi this uh, there there is going to be counter questions they're going to be then we need to reevaluate and i tell you because i am working on pgw of course i have excavated harappan sites but my main research is with pgw there is we don't have ample information to other than just the geographical stretch of uh, expansion of pgw and this grey pottery to say or to go by certain you know to link it we need to do a lot of work to do that and that's where the problem is it's very difficult to prove or disprove a written record in the prehistoric context in the absence of any written records to link it to archaeological material 
because what are we dealing as archaeologists we're dealing with pottery which is not as uh, bracketed and linear as one used to think in 1970s and 80s just so you know even pottery traditions are very uh, you know they're not linear um, they overlap also in various parts and what do we deal with figurines what do we what else do we deal with so we're dealing with culture material so archaeology's ambit is quite it's little limited in that as aspect but what is mentioned in rig veda and other texts is, is a very large there's it's a very large uh you know um storyline you have social you have political you have economic you have so many different layers that cannot be proven with just archaeological data you need other disciplinary uh discourse and engagement as well to understand that better and i think it's we should not be like a lot of people are so they, they just rush to make uh, you know to push everything to an early date i am i'm i get very irritated now har cheez ko early banayenge matlab i think in one of those papers i have mentioned that early dates is not the end all and be all you know the the exactly the evidence that is matter uh, i think i wrote for uh, I, i wrote on burzoom which is an amazing site amazing beautiful site uh, and burzoom is a neolithic site which is dated about 2100 2100 bce but we still quote mehergarh mehergarh is of course an index site no doubt about it because it shows a continuation uh, complete uh evolution from early farming all the way to bronze age burzoom does not show but what burzoom shows is how a regional neolithic society evolved itself all the way to early historic period it is for the northern uh, half of the subcontinent burzoom is also very important just because it's not early so i mean like this obsession with early dates is something that um bothers me a lot We're talking about early dates. We have people claiming now that the Rig Veda can be pushed back to twenty thousand BC. I mean, what do you make of that? Twenty thousand BC? What was that? Okay, archaeological chronology, but we always place it with geological time scale. Us me BC or BC? Ko pehle dekh pehle Holocene bhi shuru nahi hua tha, which is ten thousand BC. So. राइक लैब ने उसको सेलिब्रिटी साइंस बनाया फिर यू ऑब्वियसली हैव मेनी अदर मेनी अदर थिंग्स सबसे ज्यादा अगर कोई चीज इफ द वन थिंग दैट हैज बीन यूज्ड अब्यूज्ड मिसयूज्ड इन माय व्यू इज पॉपुलेशन जेनेटिक्स टू मेक आउटलैंडिश क्लेम्स एंड अगेन लेट मी मेक एक्सप्लेन माइसेल्फ बेटर सो दैट यू अंडरस्टैंड वेयर आई एम कमिंग फ्रॉम लुक डू पीपल ट्रैवल फ्रॉम पॉइंट ए टू पॉइंट बी यस आई हैव नेवर डिनाइड दैट but for example mm-hmm. buddhism originated in india is indisputable buddhism spread from india to multiple parts of the world is also indisputable but if you look at the genetic imprint of this side of the country you barely find it so the travel of the the transfer of memes does not have to overlap with the transfer of genes is what i'm trying to say and i could give so many more examples like this in the past where memes and genes don't transfer so this entire obsession ki this time the step dna came now rigveda has to be 1500 why because we have to have that otherwise we cannot prove it and then i read one paper after the other from archaeologists and they are never certain the way people who just give one population genetics answer after the other and then if i question them they'll call me a quack i was like are mai to oit doubter hu मगर मैं कैसे क्वैक हो गया तुम क्यों नहीं हो क्वैक सी या इट्स ट्रू आई मीन लाइक यू हैव गॉट इट एब्सोल्युटली राइट दैट्स हाउ वी हैव मेजर इश्यूज यू नो व्हेन इट कम्स टू डीएनए एंड एंशिएंट डीएनए एंड आई हैव आई एम लाइक इन टर्म्स ऑफ राखी गढ़ी डीएनए आल्सो बिकॉज़ वी हैव 
you know carried forward that work that was done by professor shinde uh, in our research as well we like we have also tried to get dna samples from the same uh, area and and you know we excavated few burials uh, but what happens is know that uh, i have in in the beginning like i just said that people migrate i understand but then technology also migrates thought migrates at times uh, material migrates and it it's not necessary that people have to migrate all the time and our present uh, complex society is an example and if one has to think that the past was very simple they are just fooling themselves because the past is also equally complex in its own way um so when uh, we place movement of people at the same level as movement of goods or finding goods at this at one date uh, we will find ourselves in this very puddle these questions are not been answered when it comes to prehistoric migration also that is early uh, pre sapien migration also or sapien migration also out of africa theory we have because we don't have fossil evidence in that uh, number so a lot of questions are still unanswered with ancient dna we don't have a lot of ancient dna we have just one ancient dna from india from pakistan which is part of indian subcontinent there is a lot of ancient dna samples have been taken uh what that claims is that um um uh, that the people migrated and there is an there is a mixture of various uh, groups right see but you also need to understand where the geography is how people are move whether that particular area is a nuclear which is like you know in the center of that movement that route or not how much of that migration has happened within the main uh, the indian um, the context in india in the present day india all the way till yamuna how that change happened and also if there is um you know as i was talking like it's it's not that easy when we place people and we have to link it with cultural material it's not always e- easy of course dna analysis is very important they tell us not only about from where a person has migrated but also dna gives us a lot of many clues which people rarely talk about there is endless possibility of how we can use that dna data which goes beyond just the identity of the people and the migration track people migrate all the time how they migrate whether people first migrated or the the technology migrated or and in what capacity people migrate is a different question altogether but just generalizing it on the basis of one or two uh, dna samples at this point i think it's uh, we need more analysis um, and i i've had many conversations with dr ryan you have pointed it right like it's very difficult for him to explain this in simple terms um in public forum and uh, we've had many discussions uh, you know around this very uh, concept the, this these questions uh, you know they are uh, we need more data we need more samples and uh, i remember one of the conference which was held for ge- genetics and for ancient dna it we all there were archaeologists with there were scientists uh there were you know people who do dna sampling people who are into dna studies uh we all were in the same forum and we were having discussions at, as to how limited our dna uh data is it's not only human dna but also animal people forget animals their species have also evolved along with us there's a lot of cross breeding that has happened you know um, the desi guy today we have uh you know a uh, western breed you have murra which is a desi buffalo which is still precious but then you also have a lot of interbreeding happening that has altered a lot of things within the you know our um, uh, uh, uh dairy production within our cattle farming or whatever there are a lot of things and also dna of uh, botanical remains because even our grains have undergone a lot of mutation a lot of changes there's a lot of cross uh that has happened within the botanical remains as well so there's there's a lot of work that we still need to do generalizing it on the basis of certain uh, only few limited uh, uh results uh, is is i don't think is right and we need to be very mindful when we talk about migration of people 
and then you know put, try to put it in one bracket without understanding there that there is so much that we still don't know which is important we should be focusing on that first and then trying to infer um, you know try to understand the holistic picture so i think yeah we we have a lot of work that we need to do we need to do yeah and so this 1500 bc the... i'm i'm sorry i'm yeah, cutting you just one thing this 1500 bc is such a um, it's it's i think for people it's a turning point people want it to be a turning point what if it does not turn out to be a turning point is my question or what if it is a turning point and the picture you know with next excavation next big big discovery it just changes the whole uh, our complete understanding we we don't know that yet because a lot of it is buried and i remember i read asko propola's paper he mentioned that there were two migrations waves of migrations not one suddenly from one to two just because sonali's chariot were like that they dated about 2900 bce so he was like confused ki where to put these dates now so i think it's it's yeah it just i think we need to reevaluate a lot of things not only that at least in the case of archaeology you can date in the case of genetics mm-hmm. you can find out accurately what is i mean there what do you make of linguistics now uh, i have a lot of respect for linguistics as an argument but when it comes to linguistics people are force fitting their models in so many places it's it's actually yeah. unbloody believable that uh, i mean you can you can read all the sides and the the kind of claims that are made in the field of linguistics is just but and people the reason like a lot of my friends are always you know they, they get shocked why is this whole aryan invasion thing so charged up issue in in india i was like have you seen how it's weaponized in india in the socio political discourse then you'll know i was like people like me don't care i mean how does it matter where my answer i mean we are all from africa for all i care for me that yeah. is that that is that is the one point and i don't care about anything else but yeah. when you weaponize a, a hypothesis so much politically in a nation and then you don't expect people to react to it emotionally is unfair but let now moving on to raki gadi what was if i was to ask you because i remember you wrote an article uh, uh, i think it was a second time uh, digging raki gadi up again uh, ninth, it, it was on ninth time ninth time ninth time sorry the ninth time digging rakhi gadi i'm sorry it was written in the print and uh, so what what has been your best uh, experience at that site so uh, we uh, there are certain sites no where people dream of excavating um, i have few um, uh, i'm a little greedy like that um, and uh, uh, like rakhi gadi was a site that was like was introduced to me actually by professor shinde he was excavating raki gadi when i was a student at institute of archaeology and he would discuss his uh, discovery and i remember him mentioning that raki gadi is pop- probably bigger than mohenj daro and uh, at the same time we were taught the entire like we were introduced to the harappan world by the uh, rs bisht the one who is uh, who excavated dhola veera he is um, if if any there is any authority with Uh, harappan uh, archaeology or harappan civilization that is dr aris bisht and we would have discussions with him and personally i would have discussions with him and um, rakhi gadi he was uh, like he was in haryana at that point of time he was in asi sorry and uh, he remember visiting rakhi gadi when you know the protection was happening and it was deemed to be national monument of national importance and and he would tell the stories of how big rakhi gadi is and i never thought that i will excavate rakhi gadi or ever ever get a chance to excavate rakhi gadi and i want to thank my star because it's such a huge site i've never i don't think if i was not where i am right now i would have gotten that opportunity to be and to excavate such a big site and it's not simple it's a huge site and um, within one mound like there seven mounds in one mound it was so difficult for me to manage like two various different uh, you know operation areas so rakhi gadi personally as for me it was a learning uh, it was a turning point as an archaeologist i learned a lot 
so much i learned about myself as an archaeologist and i implemented a lot of new techniques into my own thinking into excavating rakhigadi uh, you know from excavating mud brick walls to exposing um, you know big structures uh, it it has been a very it has been a learning experience for me to be honest i won't say i ended up finding something spectacular or something that changes or makes or breaks a theory no but as an archaeologist um i really pushed myself um uh, you know when it comes to be in the field as an excavator um i was um and i really want to thank dr manjul uh who really gave me this opportunity he thought that i he really put his trust in me and he said do it and he would be there on call whenever i would call him because he is holding such a high post in asi he was not able to be on field all the time but he put that blind trust in me and that was that was like you know kande pe bojh like i had a responsibility on my shoulder i won't say bojh it was a responsibility on my shoulder and i remember i would be so nervous initial days i was so nervous to excavate i decided that we are not going to use pickaxe at all i knew that we will find mud bricks right on the surface so so the mound is like this right peak so on the surface the structures are on the surface and i uh, read the reports so i had few idea i have seen old pictures so i had some sort of vague idea that i will find structures right on top and i decided that we are not going to be using pickaxe and if you ask any of my you know trainees who worked with me they will tell you that i was i really you know they would get blisters on their hands because they will be using trowels constantly so they are digging with trowels with their hands not with pickaxe or brushes so every time they will i will be on in their trench and they last me ma'am what should we do i will tell them brush and they got so pissed off they were like this woman is idiot she's just telling us to brush all the time like she's just not telling us to dig hum niche kyun nahi ja rahe why are we not digging deeper but the but, but i knew that somewhere the other like i had that um, instinct that we the, uh, the sediment is different at rakhigadi and the mud bricks will only be exposed if we are going to constantly brush and that's what we did we found big uh, structures last year we uh, uncovered a street where two mud brick walls were running parallel about 18 meter long on another side we found drains a uh, drainage system uh this year also we found big structures so the structures was were quite big and all mud brick uh, so it was a very learning uh, it was a it was a amazing experience like i really pushed myself like you know you usually have your teachers to tell you you are when you are a supervisor you would have your gurus or your seniors your boss to tell you you know this this you should do and you you remain in that sort of mode that somebody is going to tell you acha theek hai dig karte to karte hai you will not use your brain rakhi gadi of course i have had um, you know i have um, uh, i i supervised many sites before and independently like dr manjul is not somebody who will always be you know uh, dominating or who will always be around me on my head but rakhi gadi somehow was a very different experience for me so personally i learned a lot awesome so be- before we uh, wrap up what are uh, what can we look forward for in the next few years from indian archaeology and uh, maybe what what are you working on is are, are there any new projects in line is there a book in line what uh, you, yeah. what do you plan <laughs> so i have have my phd to finish this year so that's my number one priority so um, i've started writing my thesis um as soon as i came back from the field uh we are hoping to restart rakhigadi uh, soon maybe in january uh the third um, like uh, the 10th season and third season for me uh if i finish my phd in summit and i have a book lined up also um and i think a lot of people misunderstood when i in another podcast i said something about my book the book is basically about archaeology it deals with um uh, the particular uh, the strata or the cultural phase of archaeology which made me fall in love with archaeology which taught me a lot pgw and um, a lot of it also of course since pgw is there you will have a little bit of the epic but it's it is about 
how archaeologists work and how archaeology of the northern half of subcontinents look like post harappan and also you know this this transition that happens from harappan to the later early historic period it's basically an a book which will have uh, you know a lot of archaeologically um, you know focused work nothing else uh, so yeah i have that as well lined up Great. so hopefully by next year i'll uh, the book will be out soon let's see Great. great i look forward to reading that book and for you know for young people who are wondering what pgw is uh, that disha yeah. uh, is talking about that's painted grayware culture yeah painted grayware culture hota hai google kar lena tum log abhi mere ko baith ke 10 minute mein samjhane nahi wala but disha it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you it's good to see people who who care about the truth i, I always enjoy when you write because the i don't know how to say this but there is an element of uh, nonsense that goes on into the discourse on social <laughs> media unfortunately if you want to get clicks you have to say hamare ancestors ko sab kuch aata tha ya hamari civilization itne hazaron saal purani hai ki matlab wo nahi bhi hogi to bhi usme 5 10000 saal add kar do wala and uh, mm-hmm. then there is the other side from the west ki india se kuch acha ho hi nahi sakta indians pure incapable tattoo the inhone kuch nahi kiya ये लोग ये लोग को कुछ आता नहीं था हमने बाहर आके सिखाया सो अनफॉर्चुनेटली इन दीज एक्सट्रीम्स ऑफ बोथ ट्रेंड्स आई थिंक देयर आर लॉट ऑफ गुड थिंग्स दैट आर मिस सो आई एम ग्लैड देयर आर पीपल लाइक यू सो कीप डूइंग द गुड वर्क एंड आई विश यू नथिंग बट द बेस्ट थैंक यू थैंक यू सो मच फॉर हैविंग मी इट वाज फन टॉकिंग टू यू my pleasure so guys we'll wrap it up but before i wrap it up once again in the description doesn't matter if you're listening to the audio version in the description you'll see uh disha's uh, social media handle so go follow her on the different platforms that i will leave the links to and please support the charvak podcast look the the idea of doing discussions like this is i could easily call someone who makes fantastic claims like our civilization is 20000 25000 years old and make you feel good and get tons of clicks make shit loads of money show you ancient aliens show you energies where none exist but let me tell you it is all bollocks so i don't sell bollocks i try to get to the truth and this is why i have discussions like this so please support this endeavor become a member of this podcast that's the only way this podcast runs so if you are on youtube or on patreon or on fanmo like the video leave your comments in the comment section if you have any questions you can always reach out to disha she is more than happy to answer your questions on social media especially on twitter too and uh, you can buy the charbuk podcast merch i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care bye